0: Thank you for coming today to join us to worship and to serve our great God. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift. We are especially thankful for Sundays. It's a remembrance of the day you rose from the dead to give us victory over sin and death. And it's a reminder that one day we will rise and we will see you and we will spend eternity with you. Thanks for loving us, Lord. Thanks for making us a part of your family. We ask that you'd speak to us this morning and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess I should mention, I'm Rich Murphy, one of the pastors over in the Shepherding Center, for those of you that don't know me. Larry had kind of a rough week this week. He was kind of sick, in fact very sick. And I talked to him this morning, or I got a message from him this morning. He's 95% well, so thank you for praying, and hopefully Larry will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. So keep praying for Larry. In June of 1967, a long time ago, after 12 years of fabulous public education, I attended my high school graduation. It was called a commencement exercise. I was told that it was called a commencement because it marked the beginning of a new and significant phase in the graduate's life. The parents and teachers were saying, in essence, we believe that these graduates are ready to function independently and responsibly in our society. Both parents and teachers know how important it is to get off to a good start. The way we begin our life after high school often becomes the foundation for our entire adult life. Beginnings are also very important in our relationship with God. In the Bible, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God's word says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end and that he who began a good work in us will continue it. There are many beginnings in the Bible. Probably the one that you're most familiar with is the one that Moses wrote in the beginning of your Bible. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This revelation is restated in the first chapter of Hebrews. The author said, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. Referring to creation, Dr. Charles Ryrie said, this beginning marks the first break in the past endless eternity. There are many other significant beginnings revealed in scripture. I believe, however, that the apostle John revealed to us in the first chapter of his gospel two of the most important and personally significant beginnings in God's word. John wrote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for giving us a glimpse into eternity past, and for revealing to us how we can be assured of spending eternity future with you in heaven. Help us today, Lord, to be like young Samuel who said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. According to the Apostle John, the greatest beginning is the fact that from eternity past, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has always been God and has always been with our Heavenly Father. The other great beginning revealed in this passage is that human beings can commence or embark upon a personal relationship with this Jesus, a personal, intimate relationship that will last forever in eternity future. To a world full of people that desperately needed to reevaluate their foundational beliefs, the apostle John wrote, in the beginning was Jesus Christ. God inspired the Apostle John to write the book we call the Gospel of John in order that we all might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. As we briefly examine this incredible opening passage of John's Gospel today, I'd like us to consider what God has revealed to us about the Word of God and the man of God and the light of God, and the children of God. John begins his gospel account by going far, far beyond the point in time to which Moses referred in the book of Genesis. As I said, Moses began with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John began with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the first five verses of this gospel, John focuses upon the Word of God. In verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John began his first letter with these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the Word of Life. In both of these passages, the idea expressed in the phrase, the beginning, is one of continuous preexistence, not a specific point of time in the past, like July 4th, 1776. It was more like an arrow pointing back to the furthest reaches of eternity. Moses' youth of in the beginning did refer to a specific point of time. At one particular point of time, God did create the heavens and the earth. In fact, he did it in six days. John's in the beginning points far, far beyond that point into eternity past, which is another way of saying the word of God has always existed. Jesus, the eternal word of God, has always existed as a member of the Trinity. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. God is eternal, we are immortal. The difference is this, God has always existed, and always will. We did not always exist. My existence began in 1948, I was born in 1949, and I will always exist from now on, but I did not always exist in the past. We begin at a point in time, humans, and we live forever, we're immortal. God has always existed and always will exist. He is eternal. In verse 14, John wrote, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't begin to exist when his human body was being formed in Mary's womb. Jesus, the eternal word of God, took on human flesh for the first time when he entered the womb of Mary to begin his incarnation. When Jesus took on human flesh, he continued being the same person he had been for all eternity, and he continues today to be the same person he has always been. God's word tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, So Jesus is the eternal word of God, and Jesus is God, the Son. As the eternal word of God, Jesus is not just a supreme spokesman for God or God's ambassador to the human race. Jesus is God. He said of himself, I and the Father are one. And he frequently reinforced the fact that he was God throughout his earthly ministry. He forgave sins. He accepted worship. He referred to himself in divine terms. He regularly and unquestionably claimed to be God in human flesh. That's why the Jewish leaders wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus is the eternal word of God. Jesus is God the Son. And John tells us also that Jesus is the source of life and light. John said all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In John's first letter he said, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus came that we might have life, and might have it abundantly. We simply cannot experience the life that God intended us to experience without him. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I was about 12 years old, my father took, us, took me up to a cabin in Maine, which was very far from any city, and we didn't arrive until late at night. And I was raised in New York and always had lights around. Even at night, there's always lights. But we went up to Maine and we pulled up in front of this cabin and my father turned off the car lights. I had never seen darkness that dark. People say you can't see your hand in front of your face. I literally went like this. I could not see my hand. It was absolutely, totally dark. It was eerie. I couldn't imagine getting out of the car and starting to walk around trying to find the cabin. Well, as hopeless and helpless as I would have been in that dark, trying to live without Jesus, the light of the world, is like walking around in total darkness. It will not go well. You will stumble, you will fall, and you will fail. After revealing Jesus as the Word of God, the Apostle John reveals John the Baptist as the man of God. In verses six through eight, we read about this other man named John. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. In these verses, we can see that John the Baptist had a mandate, he had a message, and he had a mission. First of all, John the Baptist had a mandate. He was a man sent from God. A mandate is an authoritative order or command from someone above you. John didn't decide one day to become a missionary. He was ordered to report for duty on the mission field by God. Just like the prophet Jonah who was ordered to go to the people of Nineveh, Jonah had a mandate and a date with a fish as well. See me later if you don't understand that. John the Baptist had a mandate. He was sent from God. And he also had a message. He wasn't just sent to go out and wander around. He had a message. His message was to testify about the light. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, John the Apostle wrote. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. John the Baptist had a mandate, a call from God to go. And he had a message to testify about the light of God to the dark world. And he was on a mission. What was his mission? That all might believe. Pretty simple mission statement. What am I doing? I'm following God's orders. I'm telling about the light that all might believe. John's purpose in life was to reveal Jesus to others in the hope that they would believe in him and follow him. He desired to lead people to Jesus. As you probably know, that desire began at a very early age for John. He literally jumped for joy inside his mother when Jesus, who was in Mary's womb, came into his mother's presence. Right from the beginning, God had a plan For John, are not all followers of Christ called to be men and women of God, like John was? Do not all followers of Christ have the same mandate, the same message, and the same mission? All Christians are sent from God to the world. In Matthew and Mark, what we call the Great Commission is there. Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything that Jesus had taught them. That's our great commission as God's people. It's the same as what John was told. Go testify of the light and lead people to Jesus. All Christians are to testify about Jesus, the light of the world. All Christians are to live in such a way that others might believe that he is the only one that can save their souls. God probably hasn't called you to go out into the desert to live on locusts and honey. Can I get an amen for that? I don't eat insects, okay? Even if they're chocolate covered, I wouldn't, no. We haven't been called to do that necessarily, but if we're followers of Christ, we've all been called to be his ambassador in the world, to represent him to a lost and dying world, the one around you. Wherever you are, wherever you go, that's your mission field. Paul reminded us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It's Ephesians 2.10. I love that passage because what it says is I don't have to be anybody else. In fact, I shouldn't try to be anybody else. God has prepared me to do what he wants me to do. He'll give me everything I need, and he'll send me on my mission. That's for all of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. You shouldn't even try to do what others are doing. Simply do what God has designed you for. He's prepared you for it. He's experienced you for it. And he opens the door of opportunity for you to be his servants. Be yourself. God thinks you're pretty amazing just the way you are. After revealing the word of God and the man of God, in verses 9 through 11, the Apostle John reveals the light of God. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. John brings to our attention two principles about this light. First of all, light that is received brings enlightenment. The true light enlightens every man. Dr. Charles Ryrie said, the point is not that every man and woman is redeemed automatically. For redemption comes through faith in the Savior. But this light is available to all men. God keeps the light on in the darkness. In verse 4, John told us that Jesus was the light of men. And in verses 7 and 8, John the Baptist reminded us that we are not the source of the light that the dark world needs. Jesus is. Christians do, however, contain that light. I was a Navy chaplain for over 10 years, and I went out several times on ships, many times on ships, a couple of six-month deployments. And one of the things they have on ships, even though they have all this electronic gear, they have signal lights. Signal light is a pretty good-sized light. Inside this signal light is a very powerful light. It can go for miles and miles and miles. It's very powerful. In the front of that signal light, there are louvers and a little handle. And so they turn the signal light on, but no light comes out until you move the handle. And as you move the handle, you can let a little light out or you can let a lot of light out. We're like that. We contain a very powerful light, the light of God. But too often we have the louvers closed. And with the louvers closed, there's no light coming out. You see, we're not the light, but we contain the light. God wants us to go into the world and not just shine your little light, shine his big light. That's what we're called to do. Light that is received brings enlightenment. Light that is received brings enlightenment, but light that is rejected brings darkness. John wrote, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. In verse 5, John said that the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. In other words, sin doesn't understand righteousness. In chapter 3 of His Gospel, John went on to say, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. In his first letter, John also said this, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. The light of God reveals the darkness and sin in our hearts. And when it does, we typically respond in one of two ways. We either hide from God and the light, or we humble ourselves under His mighty hand and seek His forgiveness. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul told us what happens to those who turn away from the light of God to prefer the darkness. He said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, But their their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts were darkened, and they became fools, because they turned away from the light of God. Have you been reading the news lately, like the last 50 years or so? (laughs) Um, Is there any doubt in your mind that darkness and evil are pervasive in our society, in our country, in our world? in every place. There's ample evidence of what happens in the dark. Is there any shortage of evidence regarding the foolishness of mankind? No. A number of years ago, we were driving through New Mexico and uh, we were listening to the radio and it was a talk show on. I don't know who the talk show host was, but apparently the subject that day was abortion. And apparently the radio show host felt like a woman has the right to abort their babies for any reason. He went on to say something that kind of astounded me. He said, quote, "If my mother had decided to abort me, I would have been fine with that." As I was driving, I said, "Really? How does that work?" Um, what a foolish thing to say. What a foolish thing to say. There's no shortage of foolishness. If you read the news and listen to what's said, I often just say, really? What are you thinking that you would think that way? God told us why it's that way. If we turn away from God's light, we are foolish and our hearts are darkened. The current condition of our country and the world strongly confirms this biblical principle. When people refuse to submit to their creator, their hearts will be darkened and they will become fools. Having revealed the word of God, the man of God, and the light of God, John clarified for us the redemptive truth about his children, the children of God. Referring to all believers, he said, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In verse 12 of this chapter, we have our perspective regarding salvation. It's like how we as Christians look up and say, I I understand salvation, this is how I see it. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's our gospel message. When we go out to share the gospel, what do we say? If you believe in Jesus and you receive him, you will become a child of God. Is that not our message? Receive, believe, become a child of God. That's what we do. We testify that Jesus is the light of the world, that he's the savior of the world, that he died for our sins, and that if we call upon him, we will become children of God and spend eternity with him. That's our gospel message. Verse 12 is what we know as the gospel. That's what we share with other people. That's all they need to know. They need to know that Jesus is the only one who can save their souls. In verse 13, we have the Father's perspective regarding salvation. It's kinda like God wanted us, his children, to know a little more. We know the gospel message, we know how we were saved. Someone talked to us, or prayed with us, or led led us to, to come to know Jesus Christ as our savior, and we asked him to be our savior, and we became children of God. God wants us in verse 13 to understand a little more about how that happened. So after affirming our understanding of the gospel in verse 12, John provided additional insight regarding our salvation, God's perspective on our redemption. Referring again to all believers, he said, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we we got into the kingdom of God. We became children of God, not of blood, meaning we weren't born into the family. You, if you had Christian parents, your children aren't automatically Christians. That'd be kind of nice, but um, they're not. So you don't get into the kingdom of God by being physically born into the kingdom of God. Nor the will of the flesh. John's saying it's not our flesh that leads us to God. In fact, I think most of you know that your flesh wants to just take care of itself. Our bodies don't have a desire to be Christians, or be under God's leadership. He goes on to say, "Nor of the will of man. It's not even our will. We, didn't, we weren't just sitting somewhere and going like, "Hey, I think I'd like to become a Christian. I think I'd like to humble myself before God and become one of his followers." That didn't happen. Why not? Because the apostle Paul said, "We were dead." Ephesians chapter one: "We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you think Lazarus in the tomb said, "I think I'll come out of the tomb." I don't think that. He was dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Only God can raise the dead. And so the Bible tells us that God calls us from the dead into the light, out of the darkness into the light, from the dead to the living. And that's why that verse ends verse 13 with, but of God. Jesus' disciples probably thought that they chose him to be their master. But one day he said to them, you did not choose me, I chose you. You see, we're chosen of God. That's not meant to be a burden for you, that's meant to be a blessing. Many people have said, I don't know why God chose me, but I am so glad he did. God chose us to be his children it's insider information, as a blessing. Dr. Edwin Blum said, the new birth does not come by natural descent, nor is it a result of human decision. The birth of a child of God is not a natural birth. It is a supernatural work of God in regeneration. A person welcomes Jesus and responds in faith and obedience to him, but the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is the cause of regeneration. Every lost sinner chosen and redeemed by God and adopted into his family is a constant living testimony of the amazing grace of God. Stephen Fee of Casting Crown said it well, and I won't sing it, I'll just read you the words. <laughs> it's all because of Jesus I'm alive. It's all because the blood of Jesus Christ that covers me And raise this dead man's life. It's all because of Jesus. That's why when we get to heaven, we won't be doing high fives. (laughs) When we get to heaven, we're going to fall on our knees before the Jesus who saved our souls. That's why we're there. It's all because of Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God and the Savior and Lord of the human race. He came to this dark world with the light of his love. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, real life for you has commenced. Your graduation, however, is sometime in the future when you see Jesus face to face. Amen? Amen. If you're a follower of Christ, do you remember when you began your relationship with him? I do. It was December of 1973. Do you remember how overwhelmed you were when you began to realize how much God truly loved you? Do you remember how amazing it felt to be forgiven and saved by God? And do you remember that time when you first decided to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? How's that going? Do you find yourself regularly resisting or even resenting the Lordship of Christ? In 1999, Matt Scannell, a member of the group Vertical Horizon, wrote a song entitled, Everything You Want. Some of you may remember the song. I always assumed it was about Jesus. Amazingly, he was not referring to Jesus in the song. The chorus, repeated a number of times, always makes me think about how perfect Jesus Christ is and also about how often I fail to communicate that importance to him. Listen carefully to the words Matt wrote in the chorus of the song, Everything You Want. He's everything you want. He's everything you need. He's everything inside of you that you wish you could be. He says all the right things at exactly the right time, but he means nothing to you, and you don't know why. The song closes with these words. I am everything you want. I am everything you need. I am everything inside of you that you wish you could be. I say all the right things at exactly the right time. But I mean nothing to you. And I don't know why. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Lord, you are everything we want you are everything we need you are everything inside of us that we wish we could be you say all the right things at exactly the right time you are perfect in every way and we are astounded and overwhelmed by your unconditional love and your amazing grace Please forgive us, Lord, for the times we behaved in a way that made you feel as though you meant nothing to us, when in fact, you do mean everything to us. Help us, Lord, to see the things that get in the way of a closer walk with you. Help us, Lord, to be the men and women of God that you have called us to be. Help us, Lord, to accomplish the things that you have planned for us to do. Lord, we want you and others to see that our relationship with you is our greatest treasure and to see that if we have you, we have everything we need. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.